It seems to me that some of the toughest lessons to learn in life fall into two main categories. First of all, learning to accept that the way that you want things to be is not the way that things actually are. For example, you want life to be fair. And from a very early age, you want that as a kid and even into adulthood. You want life to be fair, but the truth is, it's not, is it? You want life to be easy, but it's not. And you want life to get easier as time goes on, but you really don't have any expectation, any good expectation that that should happen. You want to have accomplished more in life at the point in life that you're at, but the truth is you just haven't accomplished as much as you were hoping you would. That can be a tough lesson to learn in life, to accept that the way that you want things to be is not the way that things actually are. Another tough lesson to learn in life is learning to accept that you're not as great as you think you are. And this is something we all have to learn because we all have that pride within us that causes us to think that we're so much better at things than we actually are. And, and here's the truth. The truth is that there are lots of people who are better than us at like everything we do in life. Have you ever thought about that? You may be a pretty good husband or wife or father or mother or you know, farmer or whatever, but every aspect of your life, there are people who are better at that than you are. You're not as great as you think you are. And I'm not trying to make you leave church all depressed today, but that's true for me too. And I was thinking about that this week. There are a lot of people who are better than me at everything I do. I uh, don't want to be too hard on the Disney Channel, but one of the things I've noticed as you watch Disney programs and movies is that they tell kids things that are not true. For example, they tell kids pretty much that you're the greatest thing on planet Earth. And well, yes, our kids are special to us. They are a gift of God. They are unique. They are not the greatest thing on planet Earth. And they cannot be whatever they want to be. And you hear that on Disney programs all the time. You can be whatever you want to be. We all know as adults, that's not true. You know what I wanted to be when I was a kid? I wanted to be a professional hockey player or a professional basketball player. And at one point in my life, I actually thought that that was a realistic goal. Okay? And the older I got, the more I realized this will never happen. Ever. All right? But if I listened to Disney, I would have been convinced that, yes, I can be whatever I want to be. Those can be hard lessons in life to learn. That things, the way you want things to be is not the way that things are, and learning that you're not as great as you think you are. It can be tough to learn those things in life, and whether you're a kid or an adult, those are lessons we do need to learn. Those are the kinds of lessons that even Jesus' disciples had to learn. As we look at Mark chapter 9, we're going to see that these disciples had issues with wanting things to be differently, and they had issues with pride, too. They thought they were so much greater than they were. And so they had some very tough lessons to learn. We're looking at Mark chapter 9. We'll be looking at verse 30 through verse 41. And rather than reading the entire passage all at once, we're going to look at it in three different sections. First of all, looking at verses 30 to 32. And in this section, Jesus gave the disciples some reminders about God's plan. 
So let's read these verses together. It says that from there, they, Jesus and his disciples, they went out and began to go through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know about it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. You'll notice in verse 30 and 31 that Jesus continued to focus on teaching his disciples and preparing them for what was to come. And we've noticed that as Jesus' ministry got got closer to the end, that he began to focus more time on his disciples. He wanted to prepare them for the events that were going to happen, his death and his resurrection uh, and all those events in Jerusalem. And so he was giving a lot of time and attention to them. And that's why it says he didn't want anyone to know about how they were traveling through Galilee. He wanted to focus on his disciples. But you'll notice in verse 31 that Jesus, again, was making it very clear that his death and resurrection were all part of the plan. It was part of God's plan. And and it says in verse 32 that they did not understand this statement and they were afraid to ask Jesus about it. You see, the disciples had a very different idea about what Jesus was going to do and be as the Messiah. And what they thought was reflective of what many of the Jewish people thought during that time. The disciples' plan for Jesus was totally different. They were planning that as the Messiah, Jesus was going to be a great earthly king. That he would be like a military conqueror, a hero, and bring back the glory days of Israel. Their idea for Jesus as the Messiah was very different. And if their plan went through, having the connection with Jesus that they did was going to be a totally awesome thing for them. I mean, imagine this. You know, Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's going to set us free from the Romans. He's going to bring back the glory days of Israel. And we are his followers. It would have been a totally awesome thing for them. That's what they were thinking. But the truth is that their plan was wrong. Their plan did not line up with God's plan. The way that they wanted things to be was not the way that things were actually going to be. God's plan for Jesus as the Messiah was that he would be rejected, that he would suffer and die on a cross, and then in dying on a cross he would make payment for the sins of the whole world. And after three days he would rise again from the dead in victory. God's plan for Jesus was centered around providing salvation for sinful people. And that is not the plan that the disciples had. And so it was a tough lesson for them to learn, and they continued to um, just not understand, but also just not accept the fact that what Jesus was telling them was true. If you look back at Mark chapter 8, verse 31, we see the point at which Jesus got very intentional about telling them what was going to happen. And he tells them that he's going to be rejected, he's going to suffer, he's going to be killed, he's going to rise again from the dead. He was stating the matter plainly to them. And that's the occasion where Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. And essentially telling Jesus, no, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. Because that was not the way they thought things were going to go. Jesus, yes, he's the Messiah, they thought. But that's not the kind of Messiah they were looking for. And so Jesus had to remind them again and again about what God's plan was. That Jesus 
that he would suffer and die and that he would rise again from the dead. These disciples needed to learn that their plan for Jesus as the Messiah was not God's plan. Now look at verse 33 and following. We'll read through verse 37. As they were traveling, some very interesting things were happening. It says in verse 33 that they came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Taking a child, he set him before them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. It's almost comical, isn't it? If you look again at verses 33 and 34. I mean, you got this situation where they're traveling around through Galilee, and they finally come to Capernaum. I mean, and imagine this. They're in Capernaum, they're in this house, and, and Jesus begins to question them. You know, hey, 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 fellas, what were you talking about on the way? I mean, imagine this. <laughs> He obviously knew what they were talking about, and he asked them, and there's just silence. They kept silent. You know, hey, fellas, what were you talking about on the way? Well, if we just ignore him and don't say anything, maybe he'll move on to another subject, is probably what they were, were thinking. And it's almost comical. But on the way, they were discussing which of them was the greatest, and probably in terms of disciple. Who was the greatest disciple that Jesus had? And you can imagine how some would be saying, well, well, I, I'm the most popular among the people, clearly. So I, I'm the greatest disciple. Well, I'm a whole lot smarter than you. You know that. I'm the greatest disciple. Or some could say, well, I've performed more miracles than you. Because remember, they were casting out demons and healing people. So I'm the greatest. I've done the most miracles. Well, another one could say, well, I think there's more followers of Jesus because of me than because of you. People don't like you as much as they like me. And so our following has only increased because of me. You know, Peter and James and John could have spoken up and said, well, hey, clearly Jesus has taken us three alone on occasion to be with him by himself. So we're certainly the top three, right? You remember the, the transfiguration that we talked about earlier in Mark chapter 9? Jesus took Peter and James and John with him. I bet you that that, um, that, that uh, time alone with those three only added to the uh, fuel to the fire of competition, right? They could have said, well, look, if, if only you knew what happened to us on that mountain when we were with Jesus. Because remember, Jesus told them not to say anything to anyone. I wonder if they did. You wouldn't believe what happened on the mountain. Clearly, Jesus wanted us there because we're the greatest. We're his favorite. We can laugh at this a little bit. But don't we see ourselves in them a little bit? Because we can have such an inflated view of ourselves, think that we're so much better at things than we actually are, and we can see in them the pride that is in our own hearts. Now, in terms of greatness... Jesus gives some, a very good indication of what greatness is in God's kingdom. In God's sight, what is God looking for? 
And it clearly was not the kinds of things that the disciples were doing, the kinds of things that they were arguing about. Now, in terms of greatness, the world's idea is generally that the more people who are under you, the more people who are working for you, the greater that you are. The more success that you have achieved in life, the greater that you are. The more important people that you know, the greater that you are. That's the kind of way that the world looks at greatness. But Jesus says that according to greatness in God's kingdom, those who are truly great are those who are humble servants of others. That's his point when he said, if anyone wants to be first, he should be last of all and servant of all. And so greatness in God's kingdom has to do with being a humble servant of others. Can you imagine the shame that the disciples felt? Not only that Jesus would ask them the question, what were you discussing? And then they remain silent. And then Jesus begins to tell them what greatness in God's kingdom actually looks like, and it was totally opposite of what they thought. I mean, they, they must have looked like, you know, a, a puppy with a tail between their leg, right? Just sitting there in total shame. But they needed to learn this lesson. It was a tough lesson for them to learn, but they needed to learn it. Now, notice verse 36. It says that Jesus took a child and set him before them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. Now, from the disciples' point of view, and we can see example of this in other places in the New Testament, from the disciples' point of view, spending time with children was a waste of time. Remember, Jesus had to say, let the children come to me because some, the disciples were trying to keep the kids from Jesus. You know, Jesus has more important things to do. He needs to be with adults, not kids. That was the way that they looked at things. And so Jesus brings a child in and, and, and takes the child in his arms and says, if anyone receives a child like this, he receives me. You see, in their eyes, the child would have seemed insignificant. It would not have added to their greatness because they would have looked at adults who have accomplished things as being the ones who will add to their greatness. Because, hey, look who I know. Look who knows me. Look who likes me. Look at my connections. And it wouldn't have involved anything to do with kids. And though this child appeared so insignificant to the disciples, this child was treasured by Jesus. Because Jesus focused on serving others rather than trying to look great in the eyes of the world. And so Jesus taught his disciples that greatness in God's kingdom has to do with being a humble servant of others. And in terms of greatness, Jesus provides us with the best example. I mean, who, who else showed greater humility than Jesus? He became humble even to the point of death on a cross. Who served people greater than Jesus did? Jesus met with the, the, the down and outs in society. Jesus died on the cross to provide us with the greatest thing that we needed, the salvation of our souls. Jesus is the greatest example of humbly serving others. We move now to the third and final section for today, and that's verses 38 to 41. And there is a connection with the verses we just looked at and, and the ones that proceed. It, it appears at this point that John 
felt it necessary to try to defend him and the rest of the disciples. To kind of defend their, maybe their zeal for the work that they were doing. So let's read verse 38. Because Jesus has just corrected their way of thinking about greatness in God's kingdom. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him. For there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. And so Jesus moves from teaching them about greatness in God's kingdom to teaching them about fellowship in God's work. Now the disciples probably thought that they were doing the right thing as they tried to prevent someone from casting out demons in Jesus' name. And if you can imagine the kind of situation here, here's the disciples and they recognize, hey, someone in Jesus' name is casting out demons. They probably come up and they're like, whoa, hold on a second here, buddy. You need to stop, okay? You're not one of us. Jesus wants us to do these kinds of things, not you. So you need to stop. I mean, you can imagine how they would do that, right? Especially if they'd just been arguing about who's the greatest. And so they're thinking, hey, hold on a second here. These kinds of amazing things that you're doing, these are for us, right? I mean, can you imagine the pride within them that would cause them to do this? But they thought they were probably doing the right thing. But imagine how foolish this looked if anyone knew about how the nine disciples just a little bit ago had not been able to cast a demon out of the boy. Remember that story? That was last week. Jesus is with Peter, James, and John on the mountain. The other disciples are down here. And they're, the, this father brings a boy to him and says, Hey, this demon is causing just horrible problems for my boy, trying to destroy him. Can you cast him out? Yes, we can cast him out. And they try to cast the demon out, and they're able to do nothing. And here you got the disciples telling others, telling this guy who is doing casting out demons in Jesus' name, telling him to stop when they themselves had failed to deliver this poor boy who was demon-possessed. I mean, this is almost comical too, isn't it? Here they are arguing about who's greatest. They're telling people who are actually doing work in Jesus' name to stop doing it. You're not one of us. You're not following us. You need to stop. But whoever this man was who was casting out demons in Jesus' name, he was bringing glory to Jesus, wasn't he? He was doing his work under the authority of Jesus as he was uh, not able to do that apart from the, the power that God granted to him. He was doing exactly what the disciples had been doing, other than that time they failed. <laughs> but they were doing the same thing, in Jesus' name. And here they come and tell him to stop. And Jesus makes it clear, hey, don't, don't hinder this guy from doing this. He's not against us. That's the way they were viewing him. Hey, almost viewing him as you're on the opposite team as us. But Jesus is saying, no, whoever is not against us, is for us. He's doing the kind of work that God would want done. 
He's doing this in my name. You see, the disciples needed to learn the lesson, and we do too, that it's not about us. It's not about me. You see, they were looking at God's work from the point of view of how can this make me look great, right? They were arguing about greatness. We need to look at God's work. We need to look at ministry, whether we're talking about ministry within the church or just as a, as a believer in Christ in our community, in our circle of influence, as being work that is not meant to promote ourselves. It's not about us. And that's a lesson they needed to learn. You see, there are certain things, even within the life of a church, that get noticed very easily by other people. And it can be tempting then to want to do those things because you get attention for doing it. And here I am as a pastor saying this, right? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm the one up front, right? I'm the most noticeable one. But there, there's truth to that, isn't there? When there's something that you can do that will get you noticed, it's awfully tempting to want to do it, isn't it? Especially compared to something that probably no one will notice. It's tempting to want to do the things that you'll get noticed for doing. But notice what Jesus says here. He moves the discussion from casting out demons which would have been a very impressive thing, would it not? A very impressive thing to cast demons out of people. He brings the conversation to talking about giving a cup of water to drink to someone. He says, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, I say to you, he will not lose his reward. You see, Jesus was was teaching them that it is not necessary to perform great miracles in Jesus' name to show that you love him and that you're a servant of God. It's not necessary to do these great miracles. If God so chooses to use you in that way, well then great. But it's not necessary to do these great and mighty impressive things. Receiving a child... In Jesus' name. Giving a cold cup of water to someone to drink. In Jesus' name. Is evidence that you have a humble servant's heart. And that's what God is looking for. God isn't looking for people who think that they're the greatest thing on planet Earth. In fact, God usually chooses to take the people who in the eyes of the world don't look so great and spectacular and to work through them and use them in great ways. Pastor Warren Wearsby makes the comment about, about this passage that in the end what matters is if we are serving Christ rather than trying to prop ourselves up. Because he says in the end the highest service, the greatest service that we can offer is to humbly serve Christ wherever we are. You see, it may be that the way that you can serve Christ is in ways that people won't even really notice, and that's okay. 
God doesn't call us to try to do things in ways that will get us noticed. Sometimes that's the way things work. But God would call us to look at where we are in life and simply ask, how can I help and serve others? How can I show them the love of Christ? Without any, any expectation of something in return, without any desire to be noticed by other people, but simply asking the question, how can I serve others in Jesus' name? Let's pray. Lord, if we were to be honest, we would have to acknowledge now that we, that we struggle with pride just like the disciples did. Lord, we often think that we're so much greater than we really are. And Lord, we often want to do the things that will get us noticed by others. Forgive us, Lord, for those sins. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in each of our hearts the desire to simply be a humble servant for you. Lord, we're thankful that in Jesus we see the greatest example of humble service. Help us, Lord, to walk in his footsteps. Thank you, Lord, that you are even willing to not only bring us into your kingdom, but that you are willing to use us to serve you, to serve others. Lord, you know what needs to happen in each of our hearts and minds and, and lives today. And so we pray that you would do that gracious work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.